I have a friend uh, from seminary who is now a practicing Catholic and a college professor. But before we were in seminary, right out of college, she was a practicing Buddhist living in a Zen Buddhist monastery. And she says that the thing that attracted her in her younger years to uh, Buddhism is the beginning place of Buddhism. You see, Buddhism has four noble truths, and the first of the four noble truths is not happiness or peace or joy or love, but the first of the four noble truths is suffering. You see, Buddhism starts with the bad news, or as Kim would say, meets people where they are. And she says that she finds the same philosophical truth in Catholicism with the centrality of the crucifix. You see, any Catholic church she walk into, any Catholic retreat center is going to have a cross, and on that cross will be hanging the body of Jesus. And I wonder if uh, we Protestants don't miss the mark. You know, it's not that I don't love our cross empty, because I do. I think that's the main point of the Christian story, is it not? Christ resurrected. But I wonder if we miss the mark by completely leaving out the starting point of the story, the suffering, the pain, the fact that the divine did come to earth and did die on earth. The New Testament writer Paul, who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, can be accused of and has been accused of many things, but whitewashing the gospel message is not one of them. And so for our homework from Michael, the topic of death, I thought we would use Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Because I know that Paul is going to shoot it to us straight. So we're going to start in chapter four of fourth, uh, chapter four of second Corinthians and go through, um, verse 10 of chapter five. And I'm going to skip around a bit. But starting with, uh, verse seven of chapter four, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Skipping to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, But what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the early tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. And then to the end, verse 10, Paul writes, For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. My favorite John Ortberg story is a story that he tells from his childhood about playing the game of 
monopoly with his grandmother. John says that his grandmother was a wonderful person, very kind, very compassionate, a very loving mother to all of her children and an even better grandmother. But when it came to the game of monopoly, she was ruthless. She understood that in the game of monopoly, the score was taken, was given by how much money you had, and that acquisition was the name of the game. And so every time she played, she bought up everything on the board, and she always, always won. So one summer, John decided that he would play the game of Monopoly every day with his friends in the neighborhood. And he played every day, and he says by the end of the summer, he was a more ruthless Monopoly player than his grandmother. So it was time for a rematch. And they did play. And slowly, cunningly, relentlessly, he drove his grandmother off the board, bought everything she had, took every last dollar that she owned, He says, she quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life. The temptation, I think, would be to leave the board out so that you could gloat on the winnings for the next few days. Or John Ortberg says he wanted to bronze the board. But his grandmother had a more important lesson to teach. She said to him, John, now that the game is over... It all goes back in the box. Every last piece, every property, every dollar, every hotel, even the board game, it all goes back in the box. It's the truth for our lives as well. At some point, all of us will come to a day When everything that we have, everything that we own, our diplomas, cars, houses, clothes, jewelry, even our bodies, it all goes back in the box. Paul knew this truth. Now, I can guarantee you that Paul never played the game of Monopoly, never even saw a cardboard box. But Paul knew this truth. When he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, we have this treasure in a clay jar. Now, I have nothing against pottery. In fact, pottery is probably one of my favorite acquisitions. But what my Bible commentary reminds me is that a clay jar in Paul's day was cheap and fragile. So what Paul is saying to the people of Corinth and to us today is that we have this treasure in a frail, inept container. We have this treasure in a clay jar. And Paul doesn't say this just once in the passage. He says it again. He repeats it. It's so important that he restates the same truth. He uses a different metaphor. He says our lives, what we have. We have in an earthly tent. My husband for Christmas was given a new tent. It's a fancy tent, has two rooms, pretty excited about it. So there was a movement afoot in our house on Friday night to set up the tent and spend the night in the tent. So I had a choice, spend the night in the tent 
in the backyard or spend the night in wood, mortar, bricks with a nice metal roof over my head. I didn't pick the tent. (laughs) The tent is flimsy and fragile. Paul says what we have is a treasure. It's in a fragile, frail, inept container. And so I wondered this week, why do we focus so much on the container? Why do we focus so much on this frail, inept, clay jar, tent? Why do we decorate the tent or paint the jar? Why do we focus so much on it? Because if what Paul says is true, it's the treasure that we want to focus on, right? Not the frail, inept container. Paul's good news to the church at Corinth is while our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. This week I heard on the radio an interview with Maya Angelou, and she said that she thinks the greatest bit of wisdom that she's gained in the last 80 years, because she was 80 this year, is the practice of gratitude. That she makes it a point every day to be thankful for the blessings she's been given, for the people that surround her, for the relationships that she has, and even to be grateful for the people that came before her, that sacrificed and created so that she can live the life that she does. And then she said that makes the goal of her life to be the kind of person that people who come after her will be grateful for. And I think she's on to something. I really do. Because I think the practice of gratitude and the practice of community are both two ways that we can renew that inner nature, that we can grow and strengthen the treasure that's been given to us. Now, Paul would say, I believe, that there are other ways. It's not just community and gratitude, but there's prayer, there's worship, there's authentic Christian relationship, there's generosity, there's compassion. There are many ways that we can renew that treasure that we've been given. My favorite verse of Psalm 90 is verse 12, which says, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a wise heart. Teach us to know the value of the time we've been given, so that we might strengthen, so that we might add to that treasure. And I want to challenge you this morning to make verse 12 of Psalm 90 a prayer, a personal prayer for you for the next few days. So it would sound something like, Teach me to number my days, O Lord, that I might gain a wise heart. And I believe that the result of that prayer will be that the Holy Spirit will show you ways that you can grow that treasure, that you can renew your inner nature day by day. There really is so much about this passage in 2 Corinthians that I like. But maybe what I like most about the passage, and it really is worth reading all of it, what I like most about the passage is that it's very poetic. And while this wasn't a concept in Paul's day, there is paradox throughout this poetry. 
Paul says, it's not my power, but it's God's power. Paul says there's an outer nature and an inner nature. There are things that are seen and there are things that are unseen. We have an earthly tent and we have a heavenly dwelling. We are at home, yet we long to be away. I really am pretty typically not a person who finds truth in one absolute. But instead, most often, a truth is going to resonate with me if it's held in tension between two absolutes. And that's what a paradox is. And that's what I really appreciate about this passage. is that the truth just hangs in the balance over and over again of two opposites. And I think the overriding paradox in this passage isn't explicitly stated, but it is implied. And that is that death is a part of life. And life is a part of death. Now, we had a really good two weeks of holiday at our house. We had great time with our family at Christmas. We've um, slept a lot, which is always a good thing at our house. The baby's been healthy, so we're sleeping. But we've also caught up on our movies. And one of the movies that Keith and I went to see was The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I bet a lot of you have seen it. What I appreciated about this movie, that was from the very beginning, from the very beginning of this movie, is this truth, this truth that Kim says meets us where we are, this truth that death is a part of life. From the opening scene in that movie throughout, death is a part of life. But the opposite truth that Paul states, it's in the movie, but it's kind of wimpy. Paul would want it more strongly stated. Life is a part of death. You know, I love what Dallas Willard says. Dallas Willard says that most of life exists on the other side of what we call death. You know, it's just a truth of our faith that I want you to hear this morning and live with. And that is eternal life. It's a major point of the Christian story, the major point of our faith. Life is a part of death. Now, one of those lessons, I think, of life, when stated, is very simplistic, but when experienced is very profound, is that lesson. There's a difference between a dead body and an alive body. Yeah, sounds really simple, doesn't it? <laughs> but I hope for my children, and I would hope for all of you, that at some point during your life, you have the gift of experiencing the death of someone else. The first time that I had this experience, we lived in Atlanta, and I worked as a chaplain in a hospital, and I went into a room where a man uh, was dying of AIDS. His family was in there with him. They were gathered around, and they were comforting him. He was really struggling. So they, we visited a little bit. We joined hands, and we prayed over him. And they shared a little bit more after our prayer, and then I left. I came back into the room about an hour later. 
same number of bodies in the room, but the energy was completely different. He had been there. He was there when I was in the room before. But when I came back to the room, he was gone. The tomb was empty. That's the truth of our faith. That life is a part of death. I want you to know this morning that the treasure lives on. The treasure that's in the clay jar, the treasure that's in the earthly tent continues to live. But I also want you this morning to hear this truth. And that is that how we live our life now matters. How we live our life in the earthly tent, in the jar, matters to God. What Paul wrote to the church at Corinth is that all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each will receive what is due for what's been done in the body. Now, this image of Jesus sitting on a judicial bench is a common image. It's been preached in many fire and brimstone sermons. But I like what Frederick Beekner wrote about this particular image. Frederick Beekner is a theologian and pastor, and what he says about the image of Jesus as a judge is this. The New Testament proclaims that there will come a day when all of our days and all of the judgments upon us and all of the judgments we place on each other will be judged. The judge is Jesus. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. And that's what I want you to hear about that image of Jesus as a judge. The one who judges us most finally is the one who loves us most fully. Now, I've had another image of Jesus this week. It's not directly from the passage of 2 Corinthians, but I think it's in there. It's of Jesus as an archaeologist. You see, when Paul wrote, there weren't any archaeologists. But I wonder if there will come a day when Jesus will uncover the broken shards, the broken pieces of my clay jar life, and fit them back together again. And then tell a story of what I was able to accomplish while I lived in this clay jar. I want to ask you to consider some of these archaeological statements and think about your own life. How will Jesus complete these sentences? She was a person of, or he was a person of blank. Her tools were blank. His tools were blank, blank, and blank. Her language was, or his languages were, blank and blank. She protected herself with, or he armed himself with. She created, or he crafted, blank. In October of 2006, Kennesaw State University 
in Georgia unveiled a 175-ton, $1 million sculpture that was titled Spaceship Earth. The main part of this sculpture was a sphere that was 15 feet in diameter. It was composed of 88 pieces of Brazilian quartzite, and it was covered with 200 and 40 bronze pieces. And sitting atop of the sphere, standing atop of the sphere, was the figure of a bronze man walking on the earth. Now, just three months after it was put into place, it crumbled to the ground. Authorities said the glue failed. The picture in the paper showed how The image of the man was still intact, but he was surrounded by hundreds of pieces of this world that he once walked on top of. And sitting next to him, amidst all the pieces, was a plaque that still read, Our Fragile Craft. Your craft is fragile. One day it will crumble. What will the pieces that are collected say about your true identity? Will you pray with me? Eternal and loving God, we praise you and we thank you this day that you are a God who loves us fully and completely. And we ask, Lord, this day as we leave this place of worship, that we would walk out of this place not as people who go forward to die, but as people who go forward to live. For eternity, Lord, we are grateful for life. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.